Welcome back to another edition of the Yoke with Doke. Tom and I are again joined by Don Placek, Renaissance Golf Design Associate. In this episode, we discuss Tom's revolutionary reversible golf course, The Loop, which is located at the Forest Dunes Resort in Roscommon, Michigan. As always, reminder to check out renaissancegolf.com and Tom's books, The Confidential Guides to Golf Courses and The Little Red Book on Golf Course Architecture. They're both fantastic resources to learn more about architecture, different courses around the world. Really great resource to help you travel smarter. So without further ado, here is the latest episode of The Yoke with Doke. Candid Doke doesn't pull any punches. How do I make natural looking contour? Hire the biggest fool in the village and tell him to make it flat. First overrated, underrated, rough. Terribly overrated over the years. How long had you wanted to build a reversible golf course? Uh, more than 20 years. I mean, I I didn't really honestly think that we'd ever do it on a full 18-hole project. I thought maybe a nine-hole project or something or even smaller. I mean, that, the idea comes from the first place I saw it was Tom Simpson's book about golf course architecture, which was written in the late 20s. Um, he had a little appendix in back. Now, Simpson built, you know, he didn't build a lot of courses. He built, he built several like private estate courses for the Rothschilds and like the richest families in Europe and Britain. And most of them were not 18 hole golf courses. Some of them were nine holes. Some of them were six holes. Some of them were just three holes. And, you know, having three holes in your backyard would be kind of cool. And it'd be very, you know, it's a lot better than trying to keep maintain 18 holes in your backyard. But by the same token, it would get pretty boring after a while to just play the same three holes over and over again. So instead of just, you know, putting in different tees and having multiple tees or even putting in alternate greens, he tried to design one that you could play forwards and backwards and the holes would be really different. And he put this little illustration in the back of his book of how that worked, like a triangle of holes. And how how the you know the fairways would like stop and start again, and it, so you were hopping to completely different places when you came back the other direction, and it was really neat. It just looked fascinating, and I, you know I don't know that if that was the actual plan for one of the estate courses that he built, or it was just a doodle that he did of you know here's how you could do it, but I you know I saw that when I was like 20 years old and thought that'd be cool to do someday something like that. So it kind of always been in the back of my mind of that would be cool to do someday. But, you know, where would that even where where would that make any sense at all? You know, who would want that and what kind of land would that work on? Clearly, there's some kinds of, you know, the more dramatic the land is. The harder it is to do that and the less you'd want to do it, you know, when you're 
you know, part of golf course architecture is like trying to lay out holes. So you're, you're walking through the property a certain way and you're looking at the best views. So to say, okay, now I'm going to flip that all on its head and do it exactly backwards from the way I set it up for everybody. That doesn't make a lot of sense on its face. So it would only really, it only really makes sense on a property that's kind of dull. You know, you don't have a lot of great views. You don't have like big up and down features. You know, the more, the more, if you had sand dunes in the way or you're playing up and over hills, you would inevitably have some blind shots. You know, like you could play up and over, go in one direction and have, have you just getting to the landing area when you got to the top of the hill. But, unless the hole was exactly twice that long when you're coming back the other way, the hill would be a hundred yards in front of the tee and you couldn't see anything over the top of it. And nobody would think that was very good. So, so I kind of decided, well, the only piece of land that would make sense on would have to be pretty flat, you know? And one other time we actually had a client, we thought he might go for this. That's the only reason all the guys in my office knew about it was, when we, when we were brainstorming the Rawls course at Texas Tech, which was a dead flat piece of land, one of the concepts we came up, one of the concepts we tried out was doing a reversible golf course. Uh, you know, the the client was an engineer. The Jerry Rawls, the guy who funded the golf course, was an engineer. He was like a electrical engineer. He was a chip maker in Silicon Valley. That's where he got the money to give to Texas Tech to build a golf course. And I thought. This, I don't know him that well, but this might appeal to him. He's got that kind of brain. I think that's why it appealed to me. Um, but he was not interested in it. Mostly, you know, I warned him that if we did it that way, it was going to be hard to make it pretty because, the you know, it was hard to make the backgrounds work two different directions. So it would be hard to landscape it and make it really look pretty. And, it you know, that site was not very pretty to start with. So he was concerned that it just wouldn't look good enough. So we we tabled it and built the golf course that we did. I didn't think much about it again for a while, other than everybody around me had seen that concept and they were like, well, that'd be really cool to do that someday. And then, you know, I kind of stumble into going to interview for this job to do a new course at Forest Dunes. Uh, it was actually, I was... Um, they put me in the Michigan golf hall of fame and I went down for the like induction ceremony and had to give a little speech. And I was talking about how, you know, at the beginning of my career, I didn't want to be labeled a Michigan architect and I wanted to get out and do things in other places. So I wouldn't get typecast as just working around here. But, you know, now that I'd been traveling all over the world, the last 20 years, I'd really love to do a couple more projects close to home. And a bunch of friends that I've known for 25 years were in the audience. And two of them went from there up to some event at Forest Dunes. And the manager started talking about how, oh, they're looking to do another golf course. And these guys were like, you've got to talk to Tom. You know, they, they, they talked to a couple other architects already. For whatever reason, they weren't thinking of calling me. I think they thought I'd be too high priced or something. And these guys were like, no, no, no. We just, you know, we just came from, we just saw him. He was just talking about how he'd like to do another course in Michigan. So you've got to talk to him. So I went over there to look at the ground. 
And it was almost exactly the kind of ground I thought would work good for this concept. You know, it was relatively flat. There were some little like valleys through it in places, but nothing sticking up real big. It was all sandy, which helps because you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to create you, you, the area outside the fairway. You can let it go and it's still playable. Um, so you don't have to build it super wide in both directions necessarily. Uh, there were some trees, but they weren't like, you know, there weren't like a bunch of huge, beautiful oak trees that you, that were going to get in the way coming one way or the other. So I'm just, and I'm just looking at, and there weren't views off the property very much. I'm just walking around thinking this kind of looks like that kind of property. So then I sat down with the owner, Lou Thompson, who had bought forest dunes out of bankruptcy, basically bought it for, bought the whole place for not much money. And, um, you know, so, but he, he hadn't developed it. This was the first time he was going to develop a golf course. He just stumbled into owning this golf course that had a bunch of extra acreage and it looked like it made sense to build another course. So he hadn't, he, he didn't know anything about the process really. So he's interviewing architects and he's like, you know, so he's not from the golf business and he's not, you know, he's not your typical client and he's not answering questions the same way most do. You know, most clients, when I ask them what they want, they tell me all the things that are on Golf Digest's list of what makes a great golf course. Lou didn't know to do that. You know, I asked him what he wanted, and he said two things. He said, the reason I'm doing this is to get people to stay here and play again the next day. You know, I have the one golf course, but it's kind of on the way from Detroit to Gaylord, where all the other golf courses are. So people just stop through here and play, and then they leave. They don't even stay and have a drink. They don't stay for dinner. So this place just loses crazy money in the clubhouse because nobody sticks around. So I want you know I want people to stay here. We'll build some more lodging, and that's the goal is to get people to just stay here instead of going up to Gaylor. And he said, and I want something that's going to wow people. And I'm looking at it like, well, it's not going to wow people with this site. You know, the site's not that spectacular. But this concept that I've had for years in the back of my head, if I could pull that off, that would, that would wow people. And this guy is just far enough removed from the golf business that he might actually get that and go with it. So I didn't tell him right away. Came back to the office. We started trying to route a golf course kind of in the normal way. But, you know, while I'm while we're doing it, I'm thinking, well, you know, is this going to work backwards too? How can we make it work backwards? So you can't really, you don't, you can't route it both ways at the same time. You got to kind of work on a routing for one way, but then think through, okay, that's not going to work backwards. I'll have to change this or that in order to make it work. So Don and I played around with that. And... Then I went back over there to, you know, formally interview and show them my idea. And I just, we had the maps rolled up and I unrolled them and I, and I was showing him the one way around, just talking about it. And I got all done and he goes, well, that looks good, but 
you know, you said you're going to do something really different and I don't see what's really different about that. And I pulled the one map off and had the other map underneath showing how you played it backwards and said, well, it's also designed to be played backwards the next day. <laughs> and everybody in the room sat there kind of half stunned for about two minutes while they were trying to understand what that meant. And as soon as they understood what it meant, they were like, this is what we want to do. <laughs> I, I imagine that with Thompson, he he made his money in trucking. trucking. Yep. So he's a very utilitarian. I mean, like I worked in trucking industry, a little known fact, but the, you know, the big thing is always getting, take a load somewhere, getting a load back. You That's know, true. And, and, I didn't even think about and, it. You know, it, he probably understood it that much better because that is his business. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, he does his trucking business is all almost entirely doing stuff for butterball Turkey. Yeah. But he does everything from like hauling the turkeys to slaughter and then hauling the turkeys to market, but also hauling the feed. So he, he hauls the feed to the turkeys. He hauls the turkeys to the processing plant. He hauls the turkeys from the processing plant to stores and he just keeps making loops back and forth. So the truck's always full. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so it's the same idea as connecting a route and being able to go back around the route. I've, yeah, I never thought of that. I don't, I've got, I'm, I'm curious to ask him if he thought about it that way because he never said it that way directly. Um, but it would make – the internal logic would work perfect for Lou. And he's, you know, he's a very practical guy. So to make the course reversible, Ian McGregor wants to know – what concessions did came with it? It's funny because that's every question. I, anybody that I ever talked to about this concept, they always make the assumption that you're giving things up. That, oh, it would have been better if, you know, I mean, we call one way the black course and the other way the red course. So... You the, the say the the first three holes on the black course were better in that direction, but then the fourth hole you would have rather played the other way around. Could, you know, couldn't you have figured it out that you know there's there's always a bit you know which is better, the first hole on the black course or the 18th hole on the red course that comes back the other way? Why wouldn't you choose the best out of every one of those and put them together? A, because those don't fit together. <laughs> you know, it's not that simple. You have to have a routing that connects a bunch of things. Yeah. So, so it's not like if you, you know, if you made me, if you made me pick what are the, what are the five best holes there now, or ten best holes there now, for sure, some of them would be the same fairway playing in both directions, or the same green played from two different angles. Mm -hmm. So you you can't really get. That's why if you work on routings enough, there are always concessions in routing a golf course. I don't think we really made a lot more concessions to get it to be reversible. Not as many as everybody thinks. I mean, there's just, there's better parts of the land and there's parts that aren't quite as cool, but you have to use them both. So I don't think that we gave up that much to do it. Um, and I was, and I was perfectly willing to make those trade-offs in order to do whatever trade-offs I was making. It's like, if I can make this work in both directions and people think it's cool in both directions, that's great. 
Then the other, the other more practical question is, you know, how much do you have to manipulate it so one, one way around isn't a lot better than the other way around? Because at the end of the day, if one way around is much better than the other way around, the demand will be way higher for that and they'll abandon playing it reversible. You know, the old course at St. Andrews is that. Originally at the old course, you were playing out to one flag on a green and back to the same flag on the same green. And then it got a little too busy, too busy. for that. Yeah. So they widened out the greens and they made the double greens. But when they did that, they didn't have a clear which was the way to go. Do you start up number one or do you start back down number 18? Mm -hmm. And they did both for several years. I don't know how they decided when to alternate them, but they did both for several years. And supposedly, at least one of the Opens played in St. Andrews in the 1800s was played backwards from the present golf course. So I knew that history. That wasn't where I got the idea, but I knew the history. And I understood. Now, why isn't the old course that way anymore? Because everybody wants to play the road hole. And everybody wants to play 11 that way. All the famous, the three or four famous holes that everybody's got like in their mind, I'm going there to see this. They're all based on going down the right side off of number one and coming back up the right side, going coming back up 17 and 18. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, they, they, they do, or they did for a little while, introduce playing the golf course backwards for a couple of days a year in the spring. They pretty much gave that up. Well, they gave it up a long time ago because nobody wanted to play it that way anymore. You know, once everybody got familiar with the road hole and the other famous holes, that was the kiss of death for the other way around. It's, it, and so much of that has to, what also hindered that is the television and the sure. championship history. Sure. It's you know, nobody's going to the old course and dropping down, what is it, 500 pounds or whatever it is, <laughs> and and getting to play the the other way around. That's not as famous. I mean, I bet there's a lot of golf nerds that would pay well, they, 500 they pounds to go play it that way. John and I, John <laughs> and I and Eric did it when they were doing it 10, 15 years ago. They, they started on April Fool's Day one year. You know, it's not a busy time in St. Andrews. They said, well, April 1st, everybody plays backwards. We'll see if anybody wants to come for this. And people did. So, like, they did two or three days a year where you would, like, buy, you know, you bought a package where you played that way and then you play the other way around a day or two later and and it happened to be while we were working on the renaissance club so don and i and eric did that because it's after we talked about it for texas tech and i was always curious about it i didn't think it would work that well and i you know i know the old course really well so i think donald vouched that there were a couple holes it was really almost impossible to figure out what to do if I didn't know what was in the fairway coming the other way, because <laughs> you there are really holes that, you know, they'd abandoned playing that way for so long that they'd stop mowing some patches that were important. Like they stopped mowing the off the back of yeah. the green that you needed to bounce it on or, you know, they, they don't, you know, you're hitting over bushes off the tee now, but they're in the approach if you're playing it backwards. So it, it was kind of awkward. The old course is a 10 in the confidential guides. What would be the reversed old course? Five, five, five. or six. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
I mean, you still got the cool greens complexes and you can kind of wind up in the same places, but you know, it might be a little better than that if they, if they would mow it all back and, and fix some of the things that have grown, grown wrong over time, but it's not, it's not a great, it doesn't have the great holes that you get really attached to. The one hole that your listeners could visualize really easily that's a really good hole is if you're playing it backwards, the very first hole is playing from, from, you're really playing from one tee across, you know, down the left side into 18 fairway more and then into the back of the road green. So now the, the road's on the left, the bunker's on the right, you know, what's normally the front part of the green is still yeah. sticking out behind the green to the right. You know, it'd be a great hole, except it's the first hole, and it's, so it's a brutal start. <laughs> like a 500, 500 yard par four with like, no, 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 it's not long. It's, no, it's no, only four hundred. It's, it's like that's three, right. Yeah. One of the odd things yeah. about the reversible golf course is the fairway that you're playing backwards and the green that you're playing to backwards are not attached to the same hole. You know, like when you play when you play the 18th fairway backwards, you're playing to 17 green. Mm-hmm. And when you play the first hole backwards, you're playing the 18 green. So, so the you know, so the green changes one direction. It, the green's not like it's not a short par four going both directions. One hole might be a long par four, but the hole coming in the other way might be a par three or a short par four or something different. Yeah, that's actually one of the things that makes it more interesting than people give it credit for because you're you're playing the same lengths of holes overall but you're not playing the same length the hole into the same green and the strategy still works so well with going to the road hole green because if you play towards the out of bounds right. left you can get at the majority right. of the pins without that nasty bunker right a lot of times the strategy the strategy may not be exactly the opposite it depends you know like if you if you just had a straightaway hole with a hazard sticking in from one side on one hole, both holes you'd be playing toward the boundary to get the best angle at it. But you know, one of those holes you're playing down the right side and the other hole you're playing down the left side to get there. Mm -hmm. Jose wanted to ask, should there be more reversible courses? Should there be more? Well, I've been asked a handful of times since, would we ever do it again? And my flipping answer is, yeah, but only after like a few other people try to do it. And I feel like they did better than me and I, I should go try to do it again. And, you know, I definitely learned things from it where I thought where it's a lot the same as like when I work on a flat piece of ground, when I get all done, I think, oh, I could have done this better. I just understand better what I don't like about this way. So if I did it again, I do. I could do something better. But you know, like I said at the beginning, it's like not nearly every site lends itself to this. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny. Lou, you know, Lou Thompson, who got into this by buying up a distressed golf course. You know, like almost after we were done with the golf course, he 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 called me and said. I'm looking at this other distressed course. Could you see if it works for a reversible course? And it was something in Las Vegas. So I, I like got it up on Google Earth and I'm looking at it. I'm like, Lou, like the 18th, you'd be playing backwards down the 18th hole into a narrow spot 
and then have to hit it across a road to the 17th green. <laughs> you know, because it was a development golf course. I was like, there is absolutely no way in the world you could reverse that. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but there, there's a ton of pieces of land that wouldn't, won't work for it. <laughs> With Forest Dunes being like a resort, a lot of people will play at one time. Like, I've had the good fortune of playing it a couple times. It seems like you you get better. It gets better and better every time you play. And and the last time I played it, coming off, I was like, man, this would be really cool as a private club course where your member play, where you have essentially a different course each day, or a muni where you get to play the. You have regular repeat play all right. the time. Would that environment be one that you would consider doing a, a reversible course for? Sure. I mean. You know, it had appeal to Lou Thompson as a resort because he added two courses for the price of one. He went from yeah. one course to three. I mm-hmm. mean, Mike Kaiser says one plus one equals three in terms of the amount of revenue that you do and how many people want to come. There's just more critical mass to having two courses. And people don't think, oh, I might fly all the way across the country and there's only one course. And if I don't like it, and it's overhyped. I'm out of luck. And, you know, if you have two or three or four courses, the odds of you not liking any of them get a lot less. You're not taking as big a risk. So, you know, for Lou's deal, you know, it's not just that course and backwards, but he's also got the other one next door that you could play if you don't really like mine. So it's kind of a good deal. You're right that, I mean, it's certainly an acquired taste. And it's certainly, I mean, the first time people play it and the first time they play it backwards, they're confused. They they don't really. The coolest reaction I've had to it, I've had it from a lot of people. I didn't really expect it. Is it's so different? I didn't even realize it was the same piece of ground. You know, I he said I knew, but once you get out there, you're like, how did how did this whole work the other way around? I can't really piece it together. You know, it's it's because it's it's the next day, and it's hard to remember what you played the day before exactly. Mm-hmm. When we were building it. Before it opened, I would take people out and play two or three holes and then turn right around and play the same holes backwards. So they had just played it and then they could kind of get it. But the way it's presented now, it's not as easy to piece together in your brain how this hole is flipped over for tomorrow or how it was yesterday. You know, to me, that's that's the cool thing about it is, you know, the people who you know, some people will just go right over there. Some people don't care. It's two different golf courses. They don't, you know, they're not that interested in architecture. So they don't, so they're just judging the red course for the red course, the black course for the black course. They either like it or they don't. They love it or they, you know, it's more polarizing. They either love it or they move on. Um, But the people that like it get really, interested in it and they're going to come back a bunch and and you know that's what everybody in the golf business really needs is repeat business so having a golf course it's like this is cool and i still can't quite figure it out yet you know that's the enduring power of st andrews and and there's no reason that can't work at the resort course level you just have to understand that a certain amount of people aren't going to care for it and move on. But that's true for every new course. You know, I could build whatever. A certain percentage of people are going to be like, that's not my thing. I, I'm, I'm never going back there. 
you know, you just hope that you catch on with enough people that it works. And the one thing I hadn't thought about, you know, one of the people that came to the Renaissance Cup is my friend Michael Yamaki, who's the manager of Riviera. Very sharp business guy. We were sitting at dinner after, after he played it the second way around, and he was like, you realize what you've done? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, you only have to find half as many people that are interested in this course because they'll all play, you know, if they're interested, they're all going to play it the second way around. So 10,000 interested people equals 20,000 rounds of golf. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. (laughs) I think that's one of the cool things about being part of this conversation is that there are things when you have an idea that you've had in your your hip pocket or the back of your mind for a really long time and you think about it and refine it and and push it a little and redefine what you think will work and won't work and you have a lot of preconceived notions that you know Tom's ironed out that were good starting points but then it also those things bred all kinds of things that you didn't really have answers to or questions you didn't really even think about and I think for 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 Tom and the rest of us that got to be a part of it, it was cool because there were so many things that were not conventional in this routing puzzle that we've, we've, we've had this discussion about because they're just so exclusive to this situation. They're just so different. They're not just parallel. They're by a track or two, they're going literally and figuratively 180 degrees the other way. And I I remember little, little dialogues with Tom and, and with Brian Slonick, um, who ran the job and Brian and Eric as they were getting this stuff built. And one of the things myself, you know, you have these preconceived notions, well, the greens are going to have to be big. You got to have big putting surfaces, right? In order to be able to play it from both directions and for it to be different. And that, you know, Tom should certainly chime in, but I, I remember that, Tom saying no you, they they don't have to be big they can actually be smaller and that was by virtue of you know the approaches and the short grass and the soil structure and how the ball behaved around the greens as long as you had a playing surface that behaved like a putting surface in plenty of area in around you know on the green quote unquote green proper and also the the approaches and the um, you know, when you short side yourself, all of that kind of thing, um, you don't really have to have a big green. You just need a lot of green-like area. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you, you end up not really decorating a green site with bunkers. You know, what you end up doing is really focusing on contour and contour and short grass, which we talk about all the time. That's one of the coolest hazards in golf. It isn't a a ravine or a bunker or a pond or a, a, a quarry, it's the greatest hazard in golf is really interesting contour and really tight, firm turf. And that was, I think that was fun. I, I know it had to be fun for Tom because that is such a departure from what you normally would, would do. And, and, you know, that's just one example, but I, you know, how you way find around this, this golf course too was a real challenge, you know, and, and how the golf course is set up is really important. Yes. <laughs> um, and you know, there was a, 
a vertical learning curve almost for, you know, Lou and his staff to make sure that the team markers where they were supposed to be, you know, so there were a lot of, there were a lot of residual challenges that you really had to, to spend some brain cells on in order to figure out to make sure that it worked so that it wasn't perceived as this, you know, experimental, you know, kooky idea, but that it was really legitimate and it really presented really interesting golf and fun golf and playable golf. And it wasn't just odd. It was actually really, really, really very interesting. And, and, you know, that's just one, but other notions were the idea that, um, you know, like Tom had alluded to, when you're in a conventional golf course, all that leftover ground where the ball, the lion's share of the time is in the air off the tee and then coming to, you know, 100 yards, pick your distance, 100 yards, 125, 50 yards. You don't really need to do a whole lot to that stuff. You don't need to irrigate it. You know, you can leave it natural because it's sort of out of play. But when you flip a golf hole around, come in the other direction, that stuff that got relatively no attention was now getting a tremendous amount of, of attention because it was in the approach coming the other (laughs) way. So, you know, we really had to work hard. It's fun to listen to Tom talk about this because the things that he pointed out in this case really are, are far reaching into the other parts about, you know, the 27 hole course or the, the extra hole course and people, you know, how they, how they uh, process it in their mind and, which course is which and, and, and all of that. So there were, and how to manage cart traffic is, is a huge one. It always is on a golf course that plays in one direction. But now when you're taking that, that golfer traffic, especially when they're behind the wheel and managing where all that baggage goes in a normal round of golf with people playing golf in a cart, which we don't subscribe to, but you have to, you have to integrate it at some point. That was tough too. And, and we thought through all that, and then the client said, oh, he went to Bandon Dunes for the first time, and he said, what if we made it walking only? First he said, I had never walked 18 holes in my life until Pacific Dunes. <laughs> He's from Arkansas, and it's hot and humid, and he just, he'd never walked 18 holes in his life before he played in Bandon. And then he comes back, and he's like, I think we should go with this walking only. And I was like, that came completely out of left field to me. I was not thinking we would get <laughs> get away with that. Is that one of the best surprises you've ever had in your career? It was a very good surprise. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I was a little skeptical of it. Like, I, I, I'll be shocked if they don't have some carts out there next year or the year after. Because people, there's a lot of people that don't do that. You know, the first time I went to Forest Dunes, as soon as I get there, the first thing, you know, somebody's slamming your clubs on a, on a cart, whether you ask for it or not, they just assume that's what you're going to do. So I just, in Detroit Motor City, that's the culture up here. So I figured that was going to be a pretty hard sell to try to get people to walk. And I think, you know, the, the place is doing well, but it's, it's not as busy as the other course. And I think that's why is people, you know, everybody that plays it is interested by it. But if they can't ride, there's a certain number of people that are just like, ah, I can't do that. You know, I just can't do that. And it's, it's an easy walk. The green right. to tee is right there, and it's relatively flat. So it's about as easy a walk as you could have. But 
Um, but it's still, there's some people that just aren't open to that and, and they're filling up rooms over there. So the other, you know, so the course that you have to walk is not as full. I think an interesting part about that line of thinking too, is I've noticed it. And I think a lot of people do that when you play the, the loop, it is very walkable and, you know, they've, they've done, they've made an effort with caddies to make that part of the experience and things. And it's pretty refreshing when you've finish a round of golf if you don't play a lot to feel like you're you're not golf fatigued you're not you know you're not tired and that that's a good thing because that makes you hopefully want to play a little bit more as well and you know when people go to play golf in Bandon or other places um, you know I guess that's part of the the whole idea of short courses and and things you know to play operate golf after the big course or after the round i still want to play but i'm kind of tired yeah um, there's not a lot of people that can play 36 holes a day walking right but you in. could you could you could there you could there i mean you you, you wouldn't you know it, it would be possible so um you know hopefully that's a byproduct of it is that people kind of notice they feel a little less golf fatigued afterwards I know they're doing a couple of days next year there that you can play 36 in the same day so they're doing, I think, like three or four days where you can play it each way. Oh, good. So I hadn't seen that. You know, I, I mean, I suggested that to him. In the, you know, in the beginning, I said to him, well, you, you pretty much have to alternate every other day. So, so the person that's only staying one night can get the chance to play both. But I said, you could have like, you know, if you, if you tried to keep it on the numbers where the odd days you were playing the black course and the even days you were playing the red course or whichever one you did, you know, when you got to the 31st of the month and then the first, so there's a couple months that I you wouldn't that. have that, you know, those days you could try to set up, okay, this is special and we're going to do a shotgun or something. So you could play both ways and have a few days a year where you could try to do that. Uh, but I, if, I, I hope they do. That's I think that's exactly what they're doing. Cool. I think it's it maybe one of your next questions, but you know, Don touched on something. It's, even after 20 years of thinking about the whole concept in my head, there were certain parts of it, like the fact that the greens didn't have to be big, that I really kind of understood going in. I, I thought about that a lot because I figured if, I figured if, you know, a lot of people, they then seen Tom Simpson's book, they, they visualized the old course at St. Andrews and they knew the story about how that played backwards. So a ton of people just assumed we were going to have these big double greens that you could play into from different directions. And they were huge double greens. They were going to be huge double greens like St. Andrews. And I was really stubborn about that from day one. I'm like, well, if you had to have greens that big, then nobody's going to do this concept. If you have to mow five acres of greens to make this work, that's a lot more expense. Who wants to do that? So from day one, I told these guys, whatever else we do, these greens can't, can't be any bigger than every other project we do. In fact, I'm going to be on you to keep these small as small as we can get away with. Um, but then, you know, and it's funny because the first, the first question people asked when we were building it, the question that I got all the time was, well, how can that work without double greens? Isn't somebody going to get hit going the other direction? And I'm like, <laughs> everybody I'm like, asked me, no, you're not playing both ways at the same time. <laughs> you know, the hole's going out to the end and the holes coming back aren't necessary. They don't have to be as close together as St. Andrews. The greens can be separate. You only have to worry about, 
you know, you only have to worry about one direction at a time. So it's, you know, there's, there's no fear for that. But then the, the thing that makes it so different that I didn't realize, you know, where I fell into thinking wrong about it was even though, you know, I thought, I thought, well, it's better if we keep going the same direction like St. Andrews goes, where when you go, when you're going out, you just step off to the right of the green and the next fairway keeps going that way. And it's easy to keep the flow. If you turn 90 degrees all of a sudden, like the old course does at the end, now you've either got a crossover or you've got, you know, or you've got an awkward tee that's like you're you're needing to hit over a green or something to make the angle work. And so we were better off the more we kept playing straight down the line, the better it was. And that was one of the things when I first saw the piece of land, I thought, oh, well, number one, because of the way they built the first course and where the clubhouse was, they couldn't really go. They couldn't have returning nines. It was kind of have to kind of have to be out and back. So that made, that made the concept work. And then, um, you know, it was kind of a long out and back. You know, base, the course basically starts by the back of the clubhouse where the parking lot is. And with a couple of jogs, it works its way around the property line to almost where the entrance gate is, is where the ninth green is. And then it comes back. And so I thought it was going to be better if it was like St. Andrews and you just kept going the same direction. And then I realized when we tried to do that on paper, that was, wasn't very long. And I said, uh, okay, so to, to get enough length after number six, instead of going around the property line, you know, we kind of had to go from six back into the interior of the property for seven and eight back out toward the boundary again and then nine along the boundary and those turned out to be some of the best holes mm -hmm. the reversible part worked better you know when you when you had all the holes that are like approaching from 180 degrees opposite you keep having the same problem of how do you make a green that's receptive from both directions because mm -hmm. they're dead opposite each other like like if the greens if the greens tilted side to side that works fine. But if the green's like front to back or back to front one way, it's front to back the other way. And, you know, people with where the whole where green goes away from you, people have a hard time with that, you know, but the other because you don't see it very well, you know. So we wound up with several greens that are kind of crowned in the middle. So you see some of it coming into the front. But then if you fly it to the middle of the green or past, it's like on the downslope and out the back it's amazing how many times on on the loop especially when it was new you'd see people like hit it 30 yards over the green because now once they carry to the middle of the green it hits on a downslope and there's nothing but fairway going out the other way for the approach for the next hole so they just you know way through the green like more than i'd ever seen anywhere it's it's not quite as firm as it was on opening day so that's that's softening up a little bit but there's still it's repetitive you don't want it to be repetitive. Mm -hmm. When the holes are when the two holes are coming into the green ninety degrees apart, or something like the, you know, not exactly ninety degrees, but something like that, it's amazingly more interesting because you could do the simplest thing, like if you just build a, a rectangular green, the one direction it's long and skinny, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. The other direction, it's wide and shallow. Yeah. And it doesn't look like the same green at all. And not only that, but with those two directions, the background looks completely different. You're not looking just down the golf course anymore. You could be looking at, you know, one direction, you'll be looking at a wall of trees behind the green, which I didn't think we could even do when we started routing the golf course. But if the other hole's coming in 90 degrees to that, yeah, you can do that. You know, it's just like having a wall of trees at the very end of the ninth hole of St. Andrews. But you can do it anywhere in the middle, too. Um, so that's what makes the – those are the holes that really make it feel completely different when you play it, when you turn around the next day. Mm-hmm. And I had not figured that out at the start. It wasn't until I had to make the routing that way. As soon as I had to make the routing that way and I put it on, we put it on paper, it was like, oh, this is going to be better. All we have to do is figure out what to do with the T's so they don't conflict with it. You know, the T the going the one way doesn't conflict with the T going the other way. We basically had to give up on using the same T for both directions. That's- and that was a big leap. Just giving up on using the same tee. Because there's 80 acres of short grass there. You could stick two tee markers anywhere out there and have a golf hole. Mm-hmm. And we're used to doing that. We're More and more in the last 10 or 12 years, we've built like, we mow short grass like off the green, past the green, and over to the next tee. So you don't leave short grass between green and tee. Which is, you know, I got that idea from St. Andrews. And I got that idea from this map of the Valley Club on the wall because that's the way they they gang mode the fairway and they gang mode right over to the next tee in the old days. Um, you know, so that we'd already been doing stuff just like that. You know, so we're basically just building fairway on two different sides of the greens and building enough little flat places in it that you could tee off from either side. From... Uh... A, you touched on just there with the acreage of fairway. Stephen Britton asked about the construction and maintenance cost difference of having a, a reversible course versus a regular course. Was there anything substantial? It's all irrigation. Yeah, you're you're. I mean, we've built courses where we had seventy-five or eighty acres of turf before, just because we built it really wide. This one, even building it. A little narrower is 85 acres of turf. So, you know, you're, you're irrigating maybe 20 more acres. So that's another couple hundred thousand dollars maybe in construction budget. Like you don't, but you don't have to build the greens any bigger. So there's no extra cost there, you know, and you're maintaining 20 more acres of fairway. So that's, you know. Again, the green, the well, but it's not, but it's not, but it's not, I mean, fairway maintenance is only a fraction of the budget and that's, it's not the most expensive part. I mean, the greens maintenance is the most expensive part. That's why making the greens bigger is a bit, you know, that's why I wanted to stay away from that. I knew the fairways would be more acreage to maintain, but at the end of the day, you know, there's all, there's like zero mode rough to deal with. Yeah. You know, essentially, we're taking some areas that we probably would have had to grass and take care of as rough and turning them into fairway. So it might add 10% to the maintenance budget or 15%. But I know, I mean, we're also using fescue, which is not as high a cost per acre as bent grass. You know, forest dunes. I haven't seen the numbers, but I almost guarantee you 
that they spend less maintaining the loop than they do the Weisskopf course next door, which is all, you know, it's not, it's not as much fairway acreage, but it's bent grass fairways, tightly maintained, super high end maintenance. I'll bet they spend more money on that side. That's one of, as being somebody that came from business and, you know, got into golf is one of the most fascinating things I find about the loop is like the economics of having two distinct golf courses for just about the same price. Hearing that it doesn't cost much more to build or to maintain it, it with like urban areas, it just seems like something that should be done more often. Yeah. Yeah. Probably more often on a smaller scale and not the full 18 holes going backwards, but who knows? Yeah, nine holes would be cool. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you. 